You are listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Jeff Mose. The year was 1992. I'd gathered together in a large football stadium with about 60,000 other men. It was a gathering at that point in time known as Promise Keepers. And the leader in front shouted these words, God is good. And our response to him with one voice was, all of the time. And then he would recite all of the time, and then we would say, God is good. It was an incredibly emotional moment, but I thought to myself, as all of us said that together, do we really believe that? I mean, at the core of our beings, do we really believe that God is good all the time? I know we're not supposed to doubt God. That's not what Christians are supposed to do. But if I could be honest with you for a moment this morning, I've doubted God, have you? At the junctures of my life where it felt as though God was not fair, God was not good, God was not close, there were moments and times in my life that I doubted the very goodness of God. And it usually happens at sort of those critical junctures, doesn't it? Maybe it happens at that moment our parents decided they're going to get a divorce. Maybe it happened that time we got a diagnosis from the doctor that we didn't want to hear. Maybe it happened at that time when we lost a loved one or a husband betrayed us. There are moments in times we began to doubt the very goodness of God. Or maybe it came at those points in times we were asking questions, God, I've prayed that you would take away this depression, but it's still here. God, I ask that you would deliver me from this temptation, but I'm still struggling with it. God, I look around me and everybody's having children, but I'm still struggling to get pregnant one time. God, isn't it true that sometimes we doubt your very goodness? And I think this is especially true of believers because we look around and we say, God, I go to church. God, I read your word. God, I put some money in the offering plate. God, I serve you and yet still. I'm desiring to be happy and I thought I'd be happy by now, but I'm still not happy in my life. Or maybe it's not as personal for you. Maybe it's a little bit more global. We look around at the world and you see starving children in Kenya right now. They literally are starving to death, and we ask ourselves this question, God, where are you? Maybe you look at the situation that is going on around the world. Maybe you struggle with what's going on with Russia and the war that they've created with loved ones over there, and you're thinking to yourself, God, why don't you show up? Maybe you look at the situation, the mass shootings that's going on in the school system and say, God, do you even care? It's one of the reasons we're dealing with this question this morning is, God, how could you allow it? It's been a question that has gone on for centuries. It's probably the biggest barrier to faith and the struggle of Christianity more than anything else is, God, when I look at this world and I see all of the evil in it, God, how can you possibly be good? There was a Greek philosopher that lived some 3,000 years ago, some thousand years before the coming of Christ. His name is Epicurus. And he came up with two statements that I think are fascinating, sort of sum up how you and I feel. And then he begins to ask one question. See if you would agree with what he has to say. His first statement is just simply this. If God is not able to prevent evil, then he must not be all-powerful. 
God, when I look around the world and I see all that is evil that is going on, I begin to recognize maybe you are not omnipotent. Maybe you are not all-powerful. Maybe you can stop what's going on in this world. The second statement he makes is this. If God is not willing to prevent evil, then he must not be good. Okay, God, maybe I'll give it to you that you are omnipotent. God, you are all-powerful. But the fact that you don't stop the evil in this world must mean that you don't care or you're not good to your children, especially. And then he asks this question, and see if you don't resonate with this question. God, if you are both willing and able to prevent evil, if you both are omnipotent God and you love and care for your children, then here's what I want to know. Why does evil even exist? Isn't it true at some juncture in our own Christian faith, our own Christian walk, that you and I have struggled with this in our lives? And I want to remind you today that this idea of suffering and pain is not contrary to the truth of Scripture. In fact, I would say this, it's central to the truth of Scripture. And I'm convinced that believers in Jesus Christ more than anybody else have the ability to make sense, have the ability to give meaning, have the ability to provide solutions for the pain and the suffering in this world. In fact, if you have ever doubted the goodness of God in your life, I want you to know it's okay. All throughout Scripture, we're going to see godly men and women that struggled. God, where are you? God, why don't you show up? God, why don't you be closer to me than what it feels right now? All of them have struggled with it. Let me give you just four of them. First of all, there's a man in the Old Testament by the name of Jeremiah. He was a prophet, a spokesperson for God. He's often known as the weeping prophet. And he was the one who was delivered this news to the children of Israel. Listen, repent, turn to God. And now he begins to cloud in the presence of God. God, why won't they turn to you? God, if you are all powerful and you are all loving to your children, then why don't they listen to your voice through me? Why don't they turn to you? God, doesn't make sense to me. David, who the scripture tells us was a man after God's own heart, a man that was deeply loved by God, would often get into the very presence of God and he would begin to question God, God, are you even listening? Do you care? Why don't you come to my defense when I'm in trouble? God, it feels like I'm all alone. But the guy in scripture that I have real compassion for is a guy by the name of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the last of the prophets, if you will. He was a forerunner to Jesus. His whole responsibility was to prepare the way of the coming of the Lord. And it was John who was so humbled in the presence of Jesus, he said, listen, I'm not even worthy to untie this very man's sandals. Wherever he went, he would say, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. If there was ever anybody that should have been protected by God, it certainly should have been John the Baptist, this incredibly humble servant of God. The scripture tells us that he is unjustly arrested, he's put into prison, and he awaits. He's about to be executed, about to be beheaded. Don't you think God would show up? Don't you think God would release him? Don't you think God would allow no harm to come to John the Baptist, but eventually he's beheaded? And don't you think he's sitting in a prison cell saying, God, where in the world are you? God, I've served you my whole life. Why don't you show up if you are powerful and if you are good? Do something. But the one I want to study today is a man by the name of Asaph. Any of you are familiar with a man by the name of Asaph? 
He actually wrote 12 of the Psalms. He was a worship leader of the children of Israel as they gathered together in the temple. He was a choral director, if you will. In modern day, if he was on Sunnybrook worship team, he'd be wearing skinny jeans and really cool. That's what Asaph would be like. But Asaph was both a poet and a prophet. And he writes these incredible words in Psalm 73. Can I just pause for a moment and say, if you're going through suffering or difficulty that you don't understand in your life, one of the best places to go is Psalm 73. It will really resonate with your soul. So Asaph in Psalm chapter 73 cries out these words, God, I'm starting to stumble. I know I'm a worship leader every single Sunday morning. I know I lead your children into your presence, but I want you to know even a worship leader, a leader of the people of God like me, I want you to know I'm starting to stumble. And then he goes on. Because here's what happened. As I look at the world, I've begun to envy the arrogant because I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are people who don't love you, they don't turn in your direction, but it feels to me as if you bless them. It feels to me as if you are on their side. And he goes on. Here's what the unrighteous people in the world say about you, God. What does God know? Does the Most High know what's happening? You ever felt that way in your own life as you're going through suffering and pain? God, do you know? God, do you even understand what's happening in my life? And the psalm goes on to say, look at the wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. And then he asks this question, we've all asked it before in the midst of the prosperity of the people around us that don't go to church, that aren't giving God their direction in their lives. He asks this question, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If you're honest with each other this morning, ever thought that to yourself? Hey, God, I go to church every single Sunday. Did I do it in vain? In the midst of our pain, we say, listen, I read your word. I've given to the church. I've been involved in service, God. Is there nothing you acknowledge? Does it feel as though the unrighteous of this world seem to be treated better than the righteous? Then what's the point? Why do I go to church? Why do I trust you? Because as I look around, it seems to me you care about the wicked of the world more than you care about your children. I want to take a look at this idea of where is God in the midst of our pain and suffering this morning because it's the greatest barrier of faith to this very day. Not only for people who don't know God, but even for believers in Jesus Christ, when they go through suffering, when they go through pain, the biggest barrier of intimacy with God is this idea of God. Why? So here's what I'd like you to do for the next few minutes that we have together. I want you to put your thinking caps on. And I want you to sort of delve into this topic with me. I'm going to ask this topic five questions, and I want to encourage you to follow along. Question number one is just simply this. If God is good, why would he even allow suffering? If God is good, then why does he allow suffering? The simple answer to that question is this. If love is a choice, then suffering's a possibility, isn't it? If you and I have the choice to choose love, then you and I have the choice to choose evil. If you and I have the ability to choose good, then you and I have the ability to choose wrong. 
From a theological perspective, we would call that free will. That God has given to mankind the ability to choose either to love God or to not to love God, to do good or to not do good. Now the question becomes this, why did God give to mankind a free will? Can I tell you why? Because he didn't want you to be robots. He didn't want to program you to say that you love him. He wanted you to come to your own choice, your own decision, that you would love him, honor him with your life. But as soon as God gave to us free will, man had the ability not only to choose love, but to choose hate, not only to choose right, but to choose wrong. And do you remember in the Garden of Eden? That God says, listen, you can eat of any tree in this entire garden except for one tree in the center of the garden known as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Not die physically, but die spiritually. There's going to be death. And when you and I make a decision that somehow we're going to do what's wrong, which is called in Scripture sin, then all sorts of suffering, all sorts of pain comes along with it as well. So if God is good, why does he allow for suffering? Because he's given to you a free will and he's given to me a free will. Which brings us to the second question. This is a question people don't often ask, but this is the question people should ask. If there is no God, then who decides that there's actually evil in this world? If there is no moral absolute, if there is no God who determines right from wrong, then who decides that there's such a thing as evil in this world? Isn't it true that people, when they see evil and suffering in this world, often say, well, that just proves God doesn't exist. Actually, I'd say just the opposite. When you and I begin to recognize that there is evil, there is suffering, there is pain in this world, the only reason that you and I know this is because there is a common grace that God gives to mankind. Because of this moral standard of who God is, you and I know right from wrong. How many of you here today have siblings, a brother or sister in your family? Any of you have siblings? How many of you love your siblings? Yes, some of your hands go down, don't they? How many ever fought with your siblings? Yeah, me too. I have a sister by the name of Jane. She's two years older than I am, and we fought like crazy growing up. I don't know what it was, but I was a little brother. There's just something about waking up in the morning saying to myself, you know what, I think I'm going to torture my sister today. It was just part of my DNA. And we would often get into these fights, and here's what would happen is she could hit me all she wanted. But we were not allowed to hit a girl in our family. She was the prima donna, nobody. There were three boys in my family. Nobody could touch Jane. In fact, I'd often go to my mom and dad. I'd say, Jane hit me. She said, well, you probably deserved it. I mean, really, come on. But here's what we decided to do. Instead of fighting with each other, what we would do is we'd plead our case before our mom and dad. So literally when we would have an argument, we would run to my mom, we would run to my dad, and we'd say, here's my case, here's why I think she's wrong, and we'd plead our case the best we possibly could. Listen, if we didn't have a mom and dad, we wouldn't have known right from wrong, would we? There would have been no moral standard. Ultimately, there needed to be somebody who was the judge over the right and the wrong of this world. It's one of the reasons I'm convinced that suffering does not give to us this idea that there is no God in this world. The very fact that you and I know good and evil, right and wrong in this world, just is attributed to this idea, the common grace of God, that God does exist. And rather than suffering and pain, 
being an argument that God does not exist, I think it screams of the fact that he does. Question number three, then, is just simply this. If you suffer, does it mean God doesn't love you? Let's be honest with each other. We all felt that points in times, haven't we? Listen, God, I'm going through some real deep waters. I'm struggling. I'm hurting right now. Is it because you don't love me? It looks to me like you love all of the people around me, but God, it feels to me as if you don't love me, don't care about me, don't acknowledge me. People, can I remind you again and again that if you're in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain right now, it has nothing to do with the fact that God doesn't love you. He loves you deeply. In fact, I'm convinced that sometimes suffering and pain and discipline in our life only proves the very love of God to us. We often see this throughout the ebb and flow of life. For instance, if you ever had surgery before, you recognize your surgeon doesn't hate you, but he's about to hurt you. You recognize if he cuts you open, it's going to cause you pain, but he's looking with a long-term effect, and he's recognizing that the pain he's causing in your life is going to bring about ultimate good. Any of you ever been to a physical therapist before? I never have, but they tell me if you have a hip replacement or knee replacement, they put your leg behind your head, they twist your hip in different directions. The physical therapist hates you. They might. But the reality is this, they probably don't hate you. What they're trying to do is they recognize there is an end goal there. If they stretch you, manipulate you in such a way that they're going to cause movement, they're going to bring about healing. Ever been to a therapist or a counselor before where they actually went back into your past and they dredged up this idea of your childhood that was incredibly painful? Did they do so because they hated you and wanted to cause pain in your life? Well, maybe they wanted you to touch this event because they were convinced if somehow you could get back there, they would bring about healing. They saw something good could possibly come from it. Moms and dads, and we feel this acutely, don't we? We discipline our kids. Do we discipline our kids because we hate them? No. We actually discipline our kids because we love them. We want them to follow after God. We want them to stay out of jail. We want them to get a job and be a productive member of society. We want to keep them off drugs, so we make sure that we discipline them. And I'm convinced that discipline is often a greater sign of love than if you and I were to let our kids run wild. This is one of the greatest signs of love, this idea of causing pain and discipline in kids' lives. People, I'm convinced that the same is true with regards to God that in his permissive will every now and then he allows pain and suffering to come into our lives because he loves us, because he wants to see what's best for us. He wants to yield. He wants us to surrender. He wants us to lean with greater dependence upon him. And it's very possible that if you and I have a bed of ease all of our lives, you and I are neglect, we're going to forget about God. If you and I are somehow stagnant in our faith, sometimes he allows suffering and difficulties so that you and I might move closer to him. Sometimes he uses pain to bring about good in our lives, but it certainly doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. And then fourthly, I would ask this question, well, why do bad things happen to good people? recognize they happen, bad things to the people of the world, but how about good people like me? 
The struggle we have often with this question is all of us think that somehow we're good, we're innocent, especially if we follow after God, especially if we come to church, we think we're actually good people. Now, the simple answer to this question is one you probably don't want to hear, but here's the truth about all of us. None of us are good. There is no one righteous, no, not one. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, some are going to say to me, well, listen, I, I recognize I'm not perfect, but at least it's true, Jeff, that I have a good heart. Maybe you have a good heart, and all I'll say, I don't have a good heart. I kind of agree with Jeremiah when he says, listen, the heart is deceitful above all else. It was actually my heart that caused me to say things I wished I hadn't said, do things I wished I hadn't done. The heart is sort of the wellspring out of bad things coming because my heart is wicked and far from God. And the reality is this, as we take a look at our difficulties as our sufferings in life, and we ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know specifically why something bad has come into your life, some suffering, some pain, some difficulty. I can't give you exactly why. But I can tell you why it's not. It's not because God does not love you. The scripture makes it incredibly clear, for God so loved the world. And the world where people were following after him, people were far from him, the entire world. He loved it so very much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross of Calvary for you and for me. He loved you that much. And it reminds us again and again that in the midst of the sufferings, the pain of this world, here is a God who loved you so much, the thing that meant the most to him, his son, he was willing to give on your behalf so that you and I would not have to experience suffering or pain or difficulty for eternity. Then let's go to the last and the final question. It's just simply this. God knows that there's something better coming. I mean, the reality is this. God knows that down the road, in days to come, I want you to know there is something better coming. But isn't it true in order to get to a resurrection, sometimes you need a death? In order to get to that place of hope, you need to go through some pain. In order to somehow get to that place of intimacy with God, sometimes you have to feel distant from God. And people, the Bible makes it incredibly clear that you and I live in this world. We're going to go through tribulation. We're going to go through struggle. We're going to go through pain. But here's what I love of the reminder of Scripture. Hey, this is not your home. Can I remind you this morning again and again that your home, believer in Jesus Christ, is not here in this world. Your home is in heaven. You are actually, the scripture says, just a pilgrim, a sojourner, a stranger. You are simply passing through. And I want you to know that much like a surgeon or much like a counselor, much like a physical therapist, I know there's pain in your life in this moment. But I want you to know that something much better is coming. John writes about it. He has this beautiful vision of heaven on the island of Patmos when he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then he says these amazing words, And there was no longer any sea. Now we don't get that because we're not Jewish. But the idea of a sea was the idea of separation. 
John is on the island of Patmos, and he's separated by sea from all of the people that he loved. Ultimately, he's saying, listen, you are separated from God. To the Jewish people, whenever they thought of the sea, they thought of Jonah and the belly of the fish. They thought of Noah and mankind that was wiped out. They think of the storms in the New Testament there on the Sea of Galilee was a very frightening thing for them. So now John, a Jew himself, begins to speak and he says, listen, there is a new heaven and a new earth and there was no longer any sea, no longer any separation from the very presence of God. And then he says this, and God will wipe every tear from their eye and there shall be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything brand new. There is a day coming when you are going to be ushered into my presence, and you will live in unbroken and unhindered fellowship with me. There won't be any more pain, any more cancer, any more disease. There won't be any more crying yourself to sleep at night. There won't be any hollow, empty feeling. There won't be any jealousy of other people and all that is going around you. The reality is this, in the very presence of God, every hurt, every pain, every difficulty, every hollowness of life will be taken away. There in the presence of God, we'll recognize this is our home. Because our name is there, our Savior is there, our citizenship is there, and we'll recognize that you and I were simply passing through. As I look around at close circles to me, meaning Sunnybrook Community Church, in recent days, people have gone through some great difficulty. A friend was just diagnosed with cancer. We watched in the past years, not only one family, but two families lost their young children. We had somebody in our small group that lost her husband that was so near and dear to the rest of us. There's a sense in which just in my small circle alone, there is pain upon pain upon pain. But here's what I know from my own experience with pain. If I can lean on God, if I can get into his word, if I can spend time with him, there is a peace that in all honesty I can't explain. A peace where Paul says surpasses all understanding that guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I've seen it on the faces of countless people that have gone through suffering. I have no idea how they make it through the other side, but somehow God gives us some incredible peace that actually allows them to minister to others. But people, if you just focus on the pain, I can see where you come to the conclusion God is not good. And somehow you've got to get away from the things of this world, and somehow you've got to focus on the presence of God. It's the only way you'll somehow be able to make it through the difficulties of life. So I want to come back to Psalm chapter 17 and I, or 73, and I want to talk for a moment about Asaph. Because here is Asaph who is saying the very things most of us don't dare say in church. Hey, God, I want you to know I'm beginning to lose my grip on you. I look around and I begin to envy the arrogant of this world because there seems to be prosperity. And all of the time, I seem to be going through difficulties. So I'm beginning to ask myself, maybe I kept my heart pure for nothing. Maybe I came to church for nothing. Maybe I read your word for nothing. Maybe it's all for naught. And then he says this. When I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. I love the honesty of that, don't you? Here's a worship leader who's probably as close to God as anybody, 
says, listen, I want you to know, when I looked at the suffering in this world, the suffering in my own life, I want you to know it troubled me deeply. But then this is the verse that turns everything around. The pivotal verse in Psalm 73 is verse 17 when you're reading it. This is where everything changes. Then he says this, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Till I got into the presence of God. Then I began to see things clearly. When I saw from an eternal perspective, when I looked at the fact that God is not omnipotent, that he is in control, when I recognized that he is a good God and he does care about me, then everything began to change. When I entered the very sanctuary of God, when I got into his presence, I recognized there was a peace that surpassed all understanding. I recognized that this life is temporary and that I actually have a home, a mansion built for me in heaven. And God, who is sovereign over every good and bad in my life, is seeing me through. When I entered the sanctuary of God, now everything became different. And he goes on to say this, my flesh and my heart may fail me. You know what he's saying there, don't you? When I tried to understand it. When I looked at it from a human perspective, in all honesty, I couldn't make sense of it. My flesh and my heart failed me, but God, and God alone, is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Gives me insight and understanding, maybe not in this life, but certainly in a life to come. And he's actually going to be my portion, the one who sort of pours out his blessing and his goodness on my life. And I can trust him. Maybe if you're here today, the only reason that God brought you is to just hear from me this morning, hey, listen, God's sovereign. He's sovereign over the good and the bad of your life. And can I remind you that when you go through difficulties in life, it's not because God doesn't love you, but he's taking, as Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, and he's using all things together for your ultimate good, if you're willing to let him. Because the truth is this, that suffering and pain is not contrary to Scripture. It's actually central to the truth of Scripture. And only believers in Jesus Christ, true disciples, followers of Jesus, can somehow make sense, can somehow bring meaning, can somehow find solution for the pain and the suffering of this world. So if you're in the midst of hurt and pain in your own life, Can I just remind you that God loves you? Can I just remind you that God cares? That he's near to the brokenhearted, to those who are crushed in spirit, he comes close. And much like a loving parent, he wants to take it and he wants to use it if you and I would lean on him, if you and I would trust him. So in the midst of your pain, instead of running from God, could you run to him? Let me close this with a word of prayer. Father, we do acknowledge you are a good God. Sometimes we don't feel that. Sometimes we don't know that. But God, we just want to acknowledge that you are. And for anybody who's going through a deep valley, pain right now, I pray you'd come ever so close to them. Remind them that you love them. Remind them that you weep in the midst of the struggles of this world. But remind them most of all, Father, that you are going to use it for ultimate good that you have a long-term plan of dealing with the evil of this world. And one day, if we know you as Savior and Lord of our lives, 
you're going to call us home into your very presence where there is no more pain, is no more crying, is no more sorrow. Father, help us fix and focus our eyes on that, I pray. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk, check out our Sunnybrook Unscripted podcast where we talk real life, answer hard questions, and take a deeper practical look at the topics we talk about on a Sunday morning. For other talks, videos, and live gatherings, rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Download the Sunnybrook Church app or visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast.